0: My name's Sarah Frick and you're listening to Are You for Real? A podcast all about being real. Like really real, not just cute Instagram real. Like real. Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today, we are sitting down with Tom Hodges, who is one of my dearest friends, to talk about his diagnosis with ALS. Uh, ALS is a nervous system disease that weakens muscles and impacts physical function. In this particular disease, nerve cells break down, which reduces functionality in the muscles that they supply. The cause is unknown, and the main symptom is muscle weakness. An example of that is picking up a cup or being able to walk downstairs or playing sports, or starting your car even. Medication and therapy can slow ALS and reduce discomfort, but there's no cure. We're also gonna be discussing today how Tom found out about his diagnosis while his wife, Jen, was also going through treatment for her breast cancer. So let's meet Tom. Today we are sitting down with one of my good friends, Tom Hodges. Um, Thank you for being here, Tom.
1: Thank you, I appreciate you having me.
0: Um, Give us a quick background. Tell us a little bit about you.
1: well, I am uh, 46 years old, um, married with three children. My wife, Jen, who a lot of you all might know from Sarah's Instagram post. She's on there every now and then. She's famous. She is famous. <laughs> um, she is uh, 47. We have a 13-year-old Alex, a 10-year-old Zoe, and a 4-year-old Wyatt. Um, I think you know a little bit of background for us – we moved to the Charleston area about 15 years ago from California, originally both from Virginia. Um, and we've kind of made home here now in the Mount Pleasant area for a while. Um, Jen and I kind of always joke a little bit that we're a, a really a very rare uh, couple. We always have very strange things happen to us, <laughs> to, to, to say the least. Um, we, you know, kind of touching on some of the stuff you've talked about in the past, um, you know, we, um, years ago when we were in California, we had, we were getting married and we um, lost a baby, our first one that we lost, and to a, what's called a, a partial molar pregnancy, which is literally one in 20 million people might have it. Um, of course. It, it causes, if you Google it and you learn more about it, but it causes potential cancer, things like that. So we had to go through this situation that was... Very rare. I mean, to the point where the doctors that we went to saw there was like, you usually do not see this in Caucasian women. Um, we moved here. We ended up having our 13 year old, um, who came out very much how he is now. Um, <laughs> he came out in about three hours. He had, it had to be an emergency C-section because he had the cord wrapped around him. So Jen had to go in through, uh, emergency C-section. Uh, he was born, and uh, a few days later, Jen got, had a major infection from that, which, again, the doctors say rarely ever happens. She <laughs> I'm was not walking, laughing. I'm no, with, no, you, no. with you, with <laughs> you. <laughs> um, but she was walking around with literally like a wound vac on her to keep everything, everything down, you know, all the infection down, everything. Um, about two years later, we uh, were pregnant again with another little boy um, that... We ended up losing it about 18 to 19 weeks. Um, she, Jen, had, uh, again, just a random thing that is very rare. The placenta didn't take and it was leaking uh, the fluid. Um, and the baby was not far enough along to where you could actually save it. And so we had to actually give birth to a baby at that point. Um, with that, you ended up with uh, Jen's uh, cervix being. Um, not partially damaged, but just weaker. And so when we were then um, pregnant with our daughter, Zoe, um, at about the same time, about 18 weeks, um, Jen started having problems and we had to go in for emergency emergency cerclage, um, in which that uh, caused um, Jen to go onto bed rest for the next four to five months. Zoe came, everything was perfect. She's, is the definition of her name. Mm -hmm. You know, she really at 10 years old and a, and a young woman, she could run our family. She's amazing. She is, and she's beautiful. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And so she, she, uh, she is a very special kid. And then, so we've all figured everything's done with the kids, right? (laughs) I mean, we've gone through enough. We have a boy and a girl, and. We are selling a house, moving, Jen's decided not to teach anymore and she decides she wants to have a child. Okay. So we have the third one, Wyatt, which again, she goes on to bed rest for, for a number of months. Um, but again, he's been a blessing for us um, ever since he came. So background wise of where we are we it's it's not one of the lucky rare people that that some of the stuff happens it's not <laughs> like we would get to win the lottery or anything but we have the strangest things happen to us uh, across the board and including what you know what's we're going to kind of talk about
2: today.
0: yeah and i you know before we dive into that it, it i've always like literally Y'all have been at MUSC, which is our local hospital, more than anybody I know. It's like, Wyatt has burning skin syndrome. (laughs) Like, What the fuck is that? He had a staph
1: staph infection that was a scalded uh, skin syndrome, which is, nobody can figure out what it was. It was five days in, and then um, he was in MUSC for five days until they finally figured it out. And then, and the poor kid, you couldn't touch him. It was like he was... He was literally burning from the inside out, um, and then he went back again. With, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing. I know with his with with his head. He just said his head was killing him. They never did figure out what that was. He was back in for three days. They think it was a some sort of viral situation um like a meningitis that eventually just flushed itself out but yeah so we've you know there's a love-hate relationship with MUSC yes
0: there is (laughs) there really is um yes definitely um okay so now we've got the three kids and um let's talk let's jump into a little bit about Jen talking about Jen's diagnosis
1: okay um well and this is going to intertwine between what's going on with me and with her um and really with me to start off with in 2000 January 2019 um i was actually when I first started noticing anything was actually going to your classes. You're doing your January thing where you're making people go, yep. whatever. Making, asking.
0: It's a, it's a, it's a suggestion. <laughs> going, going to
1: 27 of <laughs> 30 days or something like that. And um, But I started noticing then that my right leg would not get in in position in yoga. Like if you're going to into a... Um, into like warrior one or warrior two or trying to get into a high lunge. I couldn't get my leg all the way up. And I, it was just more of a stiffness. And I, I, you know, chalked it up to, you know, being at the time 44. You're jumping around with all these 20-year-olds and, you know, just it's, it is what it is, right? And so I didn't really think much about it. Um, shortly after that, in the beginning, it was Super Bowl weekend in in 2019, which was um, early February, Um, I had a fall running with Jen. I hit a root and fell, caught myself on both my wrists and nothing else hit. And so I really damaged both my wrists at that time and like the palms of my hands. And so I when I landed on that, you know, I continued to try to go to yoga and do classes and things like that and just take the pressure off of that. And so that took a number of months to kind of, to kind of heal. And so as these things were kind of developing with me, I was just chalking them up to, you know, I'm stiff or I've had this fall and these, you know, it's not that I'm losing strength, but that I'm just, you know, other things are happening. I might be, you know, trying to figure other ways out to do yoga moves and compensate in different ways. Um, And so that kind of went on for a few months. And then we got to uh, May, and it was actually – the day after Mother's Day, and it was the day you, uh, actually, the you and John and, and Jen and myself, we were downtown for Mother's Day, oh, yeah. and we went out, um, had a great time, went, you know, went bar hopping, went, ended up at Monza. Mother's Day! Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ended up at Monza for, for dinner with a bunch of people. We I mean, literally had a, a great day. Coming back across, back across the bridge, blaring music, you know, blah, 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 and it was we were having a blast. And... You know, we woke up the next day, and as we said, I said before, we had, you know, three kids, and three kids go to three different schools. So our day starts at between 6 and 6.30. You drop one off at Your seven. day does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, start, We drop one kid off at 7.15, one at 8.15, one at 9. And so it's like a, it's truly like a, a shuffle throughout the morning. And that morning we woke up, obviously a little foggy and but jen and i had had you know a good time we had just really had a good connection of like how we were at that point in time with our lives and um you know we woke up and we, but we were running around and i was i was kind of bitching about something and jen was like you know what i've got a doctor's appointment for my mammogram this morning but don't worry about it i'll, I'll push it back and you know and and um She's like, I'll take Wyatt to school. I was like, No, don't worry about it. I'll get Wyatt to school. You need to go. You've canceled three of them at this point. Mm-hmm. I was like, You've, you've, you know, you, you. She's been worried about this spot in her, in her breast, and so, um, I, is like, no, you just go. You need to go, right? And so I drop Wyatt off at school, and uh, and Jen calls me right after I'm dropping him off. I'm like, and she's like, Hey, I'm finished, and I was like, Well, meet, let's meet for breakfast. So we, we go get breakfast. And we sit down at breakfast and we're there for like 15 minutes and she had an appointment at 8 and by 9.15 she gets a call from her doctor. And you know anytime you get a call from your doctor you answer it but especially if it's an hour and right. 15 minutes Fast. after yep. a- afterwards. And they're like you know you need to come back. We've we, we see something that's on here. Um, we need to biopsy it. And um you know, at that point your your life changes. Mm-hmm. You know, everything changes. And you know, you can tell, even with doctors who deal with this all the time through their voice and through what they say that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And Jen was like, you know, I she's like, I know something's going on. Um, so we jump in, you know, everything as I said, everything changes. Um, we jump in the car, we go to the biopsy, and you have now you know, I think this was on a Monday. Um, they they take her back in. They schedule the biopsies. I think that happened on Wednesday. And we had to wait until the following Monday to get any results back. Mm-hmm. So now you're living in limbo, which is absolutely the worst. It's the worst. And but they come back on Monday that she definitely has breast cancer. Um, And so now you're you're everything that you're doing, you know, everything that you've feels important or you're worried about, you know, is dropped and you start thinking, all right, how are we going to handle this? And, you know, I think it's a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people's uh, inclination is just to be positive about it. Be like, oh look, look, look this happens, you know, we're going to have surgery We'll and we'll move on. Um, I think what a lot of people don 't realize, and you know this better than anybody is that, and this was me before this any any of this happened, but you think of breast cancer and you automatically think ah oh, it 's not that bad mm-hmm. right everybody survives it you know the survival rates are really good you know what you don 't realize is, is how how serious it is and how um how much How much it just takes up of your life and the process it takes. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some people who can have a surgery, or there's some people out there who can just do hormone treatment and, and you know, control it. Um, but there's also the people out there that have to go through the full surgeries, double mastectomies, you know, uh, chemo, radiation, 10 years of hormone treatment and hormone therapy. You know, this is not something that, you know, people you know, what people kind of think that you just automatically are going to be okay. And not to mention the mental anguish that, you know, the person goes through and the family goes through. Um, You know, with with Jen, you know, um, and, you know, eventually she does have surgery for it. You know, when you lose both your breasts, it's a traumatic situation, Mm -hmm. you know, your body changes. And I, I just don't think people really, understand that right. you know until you live it anyway um
0: and it didn't just to just as yep. her friend jen like she didn't didn't she never was one of those people that was like i want to she had this beautiful breast you uh-huh. know and she was so didn't yeah. want them to be too big and didn't want for it to be a thing and right. minus all the pain It you're right it changes your identity
1: yeah it definitely does it definitely does and you know um So we spend the next that was middle of May and we spend the next six weeks, you know, you know, and just jumping into it and, you know, and literally figuring out what is um, what we need to do. Who do we need to see? How do we go about this? Everybody has an opinion on it. Right. You know, um, everybody thinks you should be at a certain place or, or, or do or see a certain person. Luckily, again, you know, we have a lot of very good people in this area. Um, We settled on going to Dr. Megan Baker, who's here in town, who is just one of the most amazing Mm -hmm. people you ever meet. She's wonderful, yes. Um, And she was um, just such a calming force in it. You know, she is is a, a, a brilliant surgeon, excuse me, but she's also a, um, just when you talk to her, she speaks to you, she tells you what's going on, what's the situations are and what you're, what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we scheduled the surgery. Um, we've decided to do a double mastectomy, um, and scheduled the surgery for, um, right after the 4th of July. So July 9th. Okay. So at this point, we're kind of gearing up toward that, right? We're dealing with the kids. We're kind of explaining to them what's going on. We're dealing with getting them settled. We're going to send my older two to my parents in Virginia and the younger one to Jen's parents in Virginia. And during this process, you know, I've kind of just not really thought about my health. Um, But toward the end of June, um, I was going to play tennis with some, with some friends of mine. And I'm not a overly great athlete, but growing up, I was athletic. You know, I there's a few things I could always do, right? I could always shoot a basketball, throw a football and, you know, and, and serve tennis. I mean, mm-hmm. I could, those are things that I was, I was, I was actually very good at. Mm-hmm. So um, I went to play tennis and I got out there and no offense to the people I was playing with, but I should have been better than anybody on the court. Yeah. And I was definitely the, 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 the worst one. Mm-hmm. My timing was off. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, get my, 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 um, toss on my serve to the right points. Mm-hmm. Um, when the ball was coming, my right leg just felt like a step slow. Like my brain was telling it to move, yep. but it wasn't moving. Yep. And so I would, I would just completely, I would, I would miss things. and, I was, so at that point I was like, this is, you know, this, something's not right. Right. And so, and I'd noticed this a little bit with playing basketball with my son. I was like, where I could find, like where I could shoot the ball from before now I'm shooting it. At a, I couldn't get the ball there
2: anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so I, I, so I actually, you were at our house, um, and we talked about a physical therapist. And so, um, I went to a physical therapist and this was July 1st, I believe, um, right around July 1st. Um, and um, because I was just trying to figure out what, you know, what's going on. So I explained to him what, what my situation was. He did a workup on me. He's like, you, you know, you feel strong, everything seems okay. He's like, he did a few reflex slash reactionary tests to me. One, and one thing that came back in when he does a test on my, um, my heel and my bottom part of my, my like my ankle, was he was saying I was having basically some reflex reflex uh, issues, and it's a thing called clonus. Anyway, he's like, "Look, it's probably nothing, but you know, you the only way you get it cleared up is you go to a neurologist to make sure there's nothing there."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, "All right, that's kind of a strange jump from being a physical therapist to a neurologist." Right. But I was like, "All right, whatever." And my, my little sister is a PT up in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. And so I I immediately called her. Uh, I was like, this is what we went through. This is what he said. And she's like, yeah. She's like, I mean, I guess. I was like, I don't know if I'd even say that to people at this point, you know, with what he's saying is there. But, you know, the only way you really do clear it is to go to a neurologist. So I called my doctor uh, immediately. And she was like, well, you know, best thing I can do is I can put you on the list at MUSC, but the first time you can see any neurologist is October 4th. Jeez. So you're four months out. But I'm like, at that point, I'm like, all right, just put on the, yeah, put yeah, on yeah. the doctor. She's like, but the first thing they're going to do is give you MRIs and do a brain MRI on you. And she's like, I can get that done in a week. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go ahead and do it. And it's like, you know, if something pops up, right. then we'll, you know, we can know what we're dealing with, and then you, they'll probably fast-track it a little bit from there. Um. Anyway, like most people do, I came home, I talked to Jen, and first thing I do, which is the worst thing anybody can do, is get on the Internet. Yeah. Right? Dr. So Google. <laughs> yeah. Dr.
2: Google
0: here. All right. And, and <laughs>
1: you know, as much as I know that's the worst thing you can do, Everyone everybody, does it. everybody does it. Right? And and you hear the worst of possible things. It could be MS. It could be, you know, any any type of neurologic diseases. It could be, you know, muscle dysfunction and you could it could be ALS mm-hmm. and you know I'm just like great was like telling Jen, I was like holy shit this is what you know these things could be and she's like you know you jump into conclusions and you this is in this.
0: between right before Jen gets right so you're between. already gearing up right for right, that right we're energy. already dealing
1: with her you yeah. know and we're as I said we're sending kids <sighs> off and and right. you know and um so that next day Literally the next morning I wake up and I start having twitching in my right arm mm. that to this day is still there. This is now a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. And so Jen's like, Jen's like, you know, that it's, she's like, it's just stress, right? You're, you're under amazing amount of stress. She's like, you, you, um, you know, you've all this stuff going on. And, you know, I remember driving my kids to Virginia and to see my mom and, I mean I really felt I've never felt that feeling in my life of of a kind of a helplessness. It's mm-hmm. like you know something's wrong with you, you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. and i'm like have i have I had a stroke have I you know had a you know what what is it I mean you know you feel like you're coming out of your skin mm-hmm. right the anxiety the stress, and looking back on it, I think most of it was geared to that, but i remember and I got back from dropping the kids off and we went to the beach the next day. I remember being on the beach and just laying there, and like you have this twitching going on in your body, and you have the I'm having like these hot sweats, mm-hmm. and it's just like you're almost like an out of a body experience. Mm-hmm. You're just like you're just feeling like you know, you know, this, what you know, really what is going on with me. And um, do
0: you think it was stress at the time? Or I, d- a little I do. Bit I mean, I
1: think most of it was the anxiety and stress of everything that's yeah. going on.
0: And I mean, that is a lot. Yeah,
1: and and on top of it, I think the worst thing. The worst thing most people can do is what I do is you drink. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you deal with it with drinking, which in, in turns, you know, of course, it's 4th of July. You make excuses for whatever it is, but it takes you away from your your reality of what you're handling. Right. right? And, um, so we get through 4th of July. Everything's kind of still going on. The kids are gone. Um, Jen and I are now you get gearing up for the, for her surgery. And this just tells you how screwed up a lot of our system is in general, but we get to the day before the surgery, the eighth, and at four 30 that day, I get a call from the doctor's office and the surgeon's office. And they're like, your insurance will not cover one half of the mastectomy. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I'm like, we're going into surgery in 14 hours. And this is something that's been on the books now for weeks and you're calling the doctor now to tell her that this is not going to happen. Right. And I was like, and so the doctor's office calls me and she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, we're going forward with it. You know, I mean, what i missed missed not tell people earlier in this is that when Jen had her, her, um, her mammogram, she had always felt like there was something in her left breast, but actually everything was in her right breast that was there. So she still had this area of the left breast that she was concerned about. Right. And so we've got... So I, I tell them, I was like, "Well, whatever it is, we'll you know we're moving forward with right. it. You know, you're not. We're not. You know, we've come to the conclusion that this is the best thing to do. We had spoken to so many people at this point, randomly, like just in random places, in restaurants or you know at appointments, um, that had done like uh, lumpectomies that had just taken the spot out." Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, they had to go back and get the. That's get the what my mom did. She yeah. got
0: a lumpectomy. Cancer came back. By the time it was back, it was in all her yeah. organs. And,
1: and so they always end up getting the, the having to do go back and have the second the second surgery, and so we were like, we're not doing that. And so anyway, here's our surgeon who is the, at the hospital at five thirty in the morning. We're supposed to she's supposed to go into surgery at at seven thirty or eight, and. Her first thing she has to do is call the insurance company and, and explain to them that they think that this is a, this is a necessity to do. Mm-hmm. And the insurance company was like, yeah, we agree with you and give it to us. <laughs> so what, all they were doing was literally trying to see if they didn't have to pay for it. Okay. Right. And then they figure 50% of the people will be like, oh, well, we're not going to do it. And then and they won't have to pay for it. So it, it's really screwed up yeah. that, that that's what they're, you know, we're dealing with and the surgeons dealing with at that time. Yeah. So Jen goes into surgery. Um, we know at this point that it's in her breast. We feel pretty confident at this time that it's nowhere else. Everything, All the scans, everything that, you, that she has done has shown that there is nothing else anywhere else. But the doctors are very, very good to tell you that they don't know until they do the surgery. Correct. Because you cannot go in, this is pretty interesting, but you can't go in, the, the scans can only see to a certain point. I think, I can't remember the exact number, but like if, if a tumor or a or cancerous cell is under five like millimeters or something, you can't see it in, in a scan. It has to be pulled out and put into a microscope. So even though they felt really confident that it hadn't gone anywhere, uh, we didn't know that. So... You spend the next few hours while she's in surgery with, you know, with wanting to know what this is, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I get the first call I get from Dr. Baker during the surgery is she comes out and says the um, the tumor has gotten really close to Jen's nipple. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going into it, we didn't think this. And so she's like, I'm going to try everything I can to save the nipple, but I can't promise it mm-hmm. and I was like, all right well, you need to do what you need to do um and the one thing that kept going through my head is here you are you're gonna have to wake your wife up after this and explain to her that something that she thought was going to be there when she came went in went under and mm-hmm. went into surgery is now going to be gone mm-hmm. and you know that that's a tough thing to do absolutely um and then she about forty five minutes later I get another call and she was able to save it. She was able to save the nipple, which was a blessing. I mean, it was really close. She said, but it was, she was able to do it. And um, but she's like, but when we pulled the lymph nodes out, we pulled two of them out, and one of them had cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So that changes everything. Yeah. And we know going in that that's what you're looking at, right? If if the if the lymph nodes are clear, you're probably just surgery. Mm-hmm. If they're not you're probably, you have a, you know, now you're really just starting your journey on it. Right. Because you've got all the other uh, pieces of the puzzle you got to bring into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Because
0: um, going into it, y'all were thinking maybe you won't even have chemo.
1: Right. That, that, and, and mm-hmm. you know, that's, I think that's what most people thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, the oncologist thought, the surgeon thought, everybody kind of really assumed that you know, they were very cautious about saying that. They mm-hmm. never would Cause say that. Because I remember
0: that. that was what Jen was say, like, yeah. saying to me. She was, all right, if I can get through this and I don't have to do chemo, I can do yeah. this. Yeah. And she was right. just so
1: scared. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe you're naive about it. Maybe you're being positive about it. But, you know, it was always a chance. But we we didn't think that that was going. But so when they found that, you know, now, you know, that changes everything. You know, you you now know you're going to have to go through chemo. You're going to have to go through radiation. You're going to have to do, you know, all of that, which you're, you know, you thought you're extremely close to not having to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the hardest thing is... There's two things in my life that have been extremely hard. And the first one's going to sound really strange, but most people understand this: is when you put down your dog, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you are making a decision on another life that they don't have any say so in, and it's it's really one of the hardest. Oh things my you ever gosh! Did, it's right? Just I mean, but you but it's for the greater good, right? It's like you know it's one thing you need to do, but but that and then this with Jen, where you have to look at her and say. I mean, the first thing she says when she wakes up is, was it in the lymph node? Mm -hmm. And you have to look at her and say, yeah, it was, you know? And and that's now where we have to go, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So that being said, we get through the surgery, the surgery actually went extremely well, um, but we know that we have to now build the rest of this plan where we go and once she heals, which is a six week process where you have drains and she can't move her arms and you have to lay in bed. Um, she's going to have to turn around. And once you get strong enough, you have to start the chemo side of it. Um, so during that we get, so we get there, get her back home. She's resting and everything. Um, I get my MRI done um, for my brain, my brain MRI. And, you know, surprisingly, I mean, you know, again, sometimes no news isn't good news, right? It, um, yeah, I say that with us for work all the time, like in real estate, you like, if you don't hear from somebody, something's wrong, right? right? You know, if you, that's just how, uh, it, but mo- most of the time that's that, that the case of no news is good news, but not in this situation. So when you seek get a brain MRI back and everything looks healthy, well, well that's good news because your brain seems to be okay, but... It doesn't give you any answers. Mm -hmm. And so when you start not getting answers, and I didn't know this at the time, but when you start not getting any answers on it, then it really starts narrowing down what it can be. Right. Okay. Um, You know, if you have MS or if you have some of these other things, even like a dementia or something like that, it starts showing up on MRIs. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that being said, I did that. Um, Nothing came back um i still had to october 4th before you see a neurologist um i went to see a neuro um um surgeon uh just at south uh southeastern spine just to get their views on it mm-hmm. uh, they did another uh cervical spine mri on me uh, which didn't show anything um and they again were like you know look it could be numerous different things mm-hmm. right um but the mris keep coming up clean um, so at this point, the twitching is now gone into, gone into both arms. It's go, it's happening, you know, more and more. Um, the, the balance and the strength has really st- started to go a little bit more. It's harder to run. It's harder to, to, you know, as I said, uh, the play, playing tennis or playing, you know, even golf, stuff like that has gotten harder and harder. And toward the end of August, um, we we've now started to have to start gen on the chemo, on chemo so she's now going into chemo uh, once every 2 weeks mm-hmm. um we if you if you, I, mean, I know you remember we decided we were going to try to save her hair at the time mm-hmm. you know um you know to try again trying to have some sort of normalcy with it and so we were using these these freeze caps where you would freeze these 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 uh, caps that you would put on her head and during the day of her chemo, you would uh, change them out every twenty minutes for eight hours, mm-hmm. and they were they were minus thirty degrees Celsius. And so th- the pain she would go through oh, in doing was so that awful. was just brutal. And you know, and God bless her. I mean, after w- to trying it twice, she's like, I'm not doing this. But
0: like, what our listeners don't know is that Tom would come with a cooler,
1: yeah. like from their
0: house. <laughs> he would bring the cooler and he would do it for her, and it was like. I, it's going to make me cry, but I just remember being there and it was just like, you would put it on her head and then you were just hugging her because she was in so much pain. And it was just like, it was so hard to see someone you love so much in that pain.
1: Yeah. And it was, (laughs) we joke about it though. It was almost like, it was, it was a weird scene, right? It was like, I had this cooler full of dry (laughs) ice and every, every 20 minutes this alarm would go off and I'd have to put these like rubber gloves that go up to my, like up to my uh illness, like a science experiment. Right? And it's like, it's like you're an ax murderer or, so, or some sort of murder or something. you'd, you'd pull these, you'd pull this, this thing out and it would just be foaming from the dry ice. I have to put it on her head. And Sometimes. by the time she'd fall asleep, and the alarm would go back off. And I have to do that all day. And finally, you know, she's like, I'm just not doing this. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. I mean, I get it. Yeah. And um you know, and I, you know, and, retrospect i wish we would have never done it um but you know again you don't know and you don't know how people are going to react to stuff and so she really um you know after after she did that um the chemo went started going a little easier but she was pretty sick Mm -hmm. you know she was in in bed for a few days um you know you you know it's your kids it's really hard for them to see that Mm -hmm. you know um And, you know, she would, um, you know, eventually the the hair started falling out Mm -hmm. until, you know, eventually over at your house one Mm -hmm. night she decided she was going to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, you know, it was one of the best things she did. I mean, I think it made her, you know, not worry about that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, getting back to me, we had gone through a number of MRIs, been to a number of different people, and so I haven't gotten to the neurologist yet. But at this point, in the end of the end of September, um, Jen's going through her chemo. Um, I'm still working and everything like normal. I have clients in town on the, toward the end of uh, September of 2019, and uh, my friend Sean and I go out with the clients and. We're leaving a friend's house that night, probably, you know, 11 o'clock or so. And I get up to leave and I walk out the front door and we had been, you know, obviously been out to dinner and had drinks and everything. And I completely, my leg stops I completely fall down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And I can't get back up. And, um, you know, I, I look at Sean and I was like, something's wrong. You know, I was like, this is this is past. The point of, like, this is just something, you know, uh, physically that's wrong with me. Right. And I told him, and I said, I was like, I think I have ALS. I was like, I've been reading about it. I was like, I think that's what it is. And I came home that night, and I woke Jen up, and I said, you know, this is what it is. I know. I was like, I hope it's not, but I know it is. And, you know, so we kind of got our got ourselves together and we went to the doctor's appointment on October 4th. And, um, you know, you, I I hate to say it this way, but there is a reason out there that you get to the best people you can for anything you do. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately a lot of people can't, right? I mean, I luckily have the ability to, um, through people to get to get to certain doctors if I need to right um, that being said, I didn't at this point. This was just a random neurologist at muOC mm-hmm. and the good and bad sides of muOC muOC is a learning hospital which gives them a chance to do so much stuff that you can't do other places. One thing I forgot to say about the rarities in our life when Zoe was eight months old, she had a hermangioma in her eye. Mm-hmm. She was the first infant to ever take a beta blocker called propanolol that now is used with with uh, with uh, patients all over the world wow. um, because it dissolves hermangiomas. So if you have one in your throat that's blocking your breathing or in her case in her eye, which she wouldn't see, um, you can take this and almost you can watch it almost disintegrate by the
0: day. Wow.
1: And, but, you know, MUSC, our pediatrician wouldn't touch it. He's like, he's like, I can't take that risk. And we go to MUSC and the Storm Eye Institute and they're like, this is something that's out there and we can try it. We don't know what's going to happen, but we'll do it with you. And so you have that good side, right? But on the bad side of that is you also are sitting in front of a lot of doctors who are students Mm -hmm. and it's not their fault, but they also are learning how to handle things. And so I go in for my physical exam and the student, the student or, inter, or not intern, but fellow or whatever he is, does his workup on me, mm-hmm. and then he brings in the neurologist, and he does the same workup, and they come back and like you're having, you know, issues with your upper and lower uh, um, motor neurons, basically, um, and they're like, you know, this could be still a lot of things we have to cancel out, um, but there's a lot of things on the table. You know, and it could be from, you know, things like it could be AIDS for that for right. for stretch of mind, you know, because it covers it hides itself, but it also could be ALS, and so, you know, probably it was something I shouldn't have done, but on the way before I left, the younger doctor was in there. I was like, all right, what do you think this is?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he looks at me, he goes, I think it's ALS, mm. and you know, you're like, I remember that, yeah, I mean, you're like, holy shit, you know, how is this? even possible you know my wife's not even through chemo right. that we've been dealing with now for five months and you know your your head just goes everywhere you're, yeah. you're like you know from reading you know you have supposedly you have two to five years and you know I'm talking I'm thinking about I have a three-year-old I mean you know yeah am I going to be there for him to you know go to school you know yeah um so anyway we we come back out I think we saw you all that night and, you know, and then you sort of start thinking, you're like, all right, yeah, you know, we've got to do a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we made some calls. We got to the top neurologist for neuromuscular division and at, at MUSC. And she started, we we're like, we're going to go see her. And she's like, look, let's not jump to conclusions. We don't know this. This mm-hmm. is extremely rare. You're mm-hmm. talking about one in 16,000 people a year in the United States. Um, that number's probably gone up now because they diagnose it better now than, than it used to, but she's like, let's we' got to get through some tests. And so um, we started in with tests, um, doing a lot of physical tests, a lot of blood work, um, going through you know everything you can imagine. Um, and you know the end of almost a year ago, um, we sat down with her and she... Was going through everything, and I knew where she was going with it. I knew that what she was going to say. Mm-hmm. So we walked out, and you know, I told Jen and my mom, and you know, we started trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um. So what? You know, obviously the, the next thing you do is you try to figure out who else you can go to. Um, how do you get? <laughs>
0: You can have a paper towel yeah. too. <laughs> we got um, lindsay has got a good cry going, guys.
1: <laughs> um, how do you get and make sure this is right? Okay, how do you know that? You know, um, as a lot of people, my doc, my uncle is a doctor said, you know, this ALS is really in the forefront of a lot of people now. And she's like, he's like, how, you got to make sure that they're not looking for it right, as compared to it really being there.
0: Right, okay.
1: And so luckily, he's a doctor in Atlanta, and um, my aunt actually is going through Alzheimer's, and so they were going to Emory University to the neuro- neurologi- or neurology department there. And luckily, one of the best doctors in the world for ALS is there, a guy named Dr. Glass. So he gets me an appointment with him, which is in December, um, we also set an appointment at University of Virginia because Jen's uncle works there with their ALS division. And the third thing I did, because when I started researching everything, mm-hmm. going through it, you know that, um, another one of the top people in the world is at Mass General, which is a uh, Dr. Mayor Tchakovich. And so those, the, I started zeroing in on first, all right, we get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. The quickest place I can get in is University of Virginia. Um and then I set an appointment with Dr. Glass right after that in Atlanta, and then Dr. Shakovich in Boston in the beginning of January. Um, in the meantime, you start talking to people. You start talking you <laughs> the network of people that you you know, we live in such small bubbles and the network of people that you you meet in a short period of time um just from this is amazing. Yeah. You know. Um we, I met a guy at a Chapel Hill who went to high school where I did – a boarding school where I did 10 years before me who had just been diagnosed. I met uh, through friends of friends a great guy in, in Raleigh who just passed away actually, Chris Combs, who, I mean, uh, was an um, all-ACC baseball player at NC State and went, went on to be drafted by the Pirates. I mean, just this, you know, unbelievable guy – um, who you know you wouldn't be in touch with. Um, I'm, I've gotten to know the CFO who worked at Caterpillar for years. He was diagnosed. And you. so it's just yeah, yeah. you start collecting information from these people. And then you start, you start trying to figure out what the doctors think you do. And so I went to UVA, um, where both my sisters live, in Charlottesville, and flew up there, and they confirmed it you know, we did the same testing, they confirmed it. And at this point you're like, all right, this is, this is real. Right. You know, we've got a we've, this is what we're now dealing with. And, you know, during this process, Jen's still going through her chemo, yeah. right? You know, and here she is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how she does it, but she, she would get up every day and she was there at this appointments, you know, with me. Um,
0: Because she loves you.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, But anyway, so then we end up going to Dr. Glass in Atlanta. And at this point, it's it's not confirmation anymore. It's like, all right, what do we do? You know, how do we handle this? I mean, and he said to me, he's like, look, this is, you have it. And he's like, you, he's like, you have to do some gene uh, genetics to make sure it's not genetic, but which is a double-edged sword because it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a very weird dynamic because if it is genetic, there actually, there are some treatments out there that are showing really good promise. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: But then you take the risk that your kids have. Right. Right. Um, So luckily mine was not in that, in that regard. Um, But he's also like, you know, all this stuff that you can do, he's like, Tom, your DNA is different from everybody else's. You don't know what's going to work and what's not. He's like, and what we're doing right now, for as much research and much money we spend, he's like, treatments for ALS are like throwing spaghetti against the wall. Mm -hmm. He's like, and hoping it sticks. He's like, you don't know. He's like, it might work for you. Something might work for you. Something might not. Mm -hmm. He's like, but as of now, we have two drugs that are approved, uh, that show minimal health, you know? He's like, so what you do is you get on those, you research clinical trials and try to find things that you think, you know, you believe in, and you get into occupational therapy and physical therapy and just try to keep yourself strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a really hard hard thing to swallow. Yeah, you, know, you don't have a definite something that these people you know are the best in the world. Yeah, and they can't tell you anything. Right. You know, it, it's it's really that's a really difficult thing. Um, so we get through the holidays, um, you know, which was I mean it was good and bad, right? Um, and then you go to to Boston and. It it was a blessing in a lot of ways. And this the doctor Shakovich in in, a, in at MGH at Mass General is arguably one the best doctor in the co- in the country, if not the world,
2: <clears> for <throat> this.
1: Excuse me. And she gives, um, and she you know she tells you a lot the same things, but she gives you some hope, right? She's like, you need to start on B twelve shots. there's shows to help, and. And and she's like, there's these therapies that are coming along, these medicines that are coming along that are showing promise, right? And I decided to start going to her and working with her um, because she not only had that feel to her, very much like I was talking about Megan Baker earlier, Mm -hmm. um, but also because she was in the middle of so much research. You know, if something's going on, she knows about it. Right. And you can ask her. Right. You know, and again, no no offense to the people at MUSC, but, you know, if I brought, I, I'd bring things to them and they were like, well, we'd have to look into it. Right, right. She knows it. Right, you right. You know, this, this woman in Boston knows it. And so, you know, there's stem cell trials that are going on. She's like, you can go to South Korea and get the same stem cell treatments that we're trying to get approved in the United States right now. She's like, it's extremely expensive, but you can do it. Right. You know, she's just, you know, she's like, I'm not saying it's going to work for you, but, you know, it works for some people and it doesn't work for some people. Right. So she's given you avenues of decisions to make, whereas a lot of, a lot of places are like, this is what we can do, and you just kind of got to live with it. Right. But even so, when you walk out of that and everything you learn from her and everything that's there – through what I consider, most people consider Western medicine, right? You're left to do a lot of this yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to start figuring out, all right, how do you deal with this? I mean, how do you try to try to beat it? How do you try to extend your life longer so you can maybe, they these brilliant people come up with something, come up with a cure for it? Right. Um, cause that's what it is, right? You're, you're trying to buy time mm-hmm. until something happens. So what I did, and you know, you well know this, we've talked about this a number of times. Um, I jumped into the functional medicine side. Um, and I jumped into <laughs> some, you know, crazy ideas of what to do and how to handle it. And I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I was Talking to a guy, you know, that you had on here no longer, Wes Carter, the other day about some of the stuff that he does and some of the treatments that they're doing. And what you come to realize is that sometimes doctors try to deal with the symptoms and then sometimes you try to fix it fix the problem, -hmm. figure out the problem and fix the problem, not deal with, with what, what your body's going through, but why is your body done this? Right, right. You know, did your, you know, I'm...
0: So it's a little bit more of an Eastern mindset too, right? Right. I mean, your,
1: your brain, I mean, is this, is this something that your brain's created? You know, have you, you know, is if your body, and I'm a true believer in this, and I'm probably not the best example of it, but I believe it, is if you... Could put your body in the best position if your body's created this disease, it should be able to heal it okay. right I mean so, it,
2: yeah
1: right we like anything a lot of things we do in life you know if you cut yourself, your body heals it right, and so if in the same way can can your body heal this if you give it what it needs right and so I started going down that road i go to you know I go to a chiropractor twice a week here in town who's amazing who does all these. PMF chairs that help with energy and light therapy,
0: and you can tell a difference. And you can tell a difference in it.
1: And and then I go, you know, with your help, I have you know Becca, who's amazing, who works with me with, you know, with with uh, strengthening and balance and stuff like that, and keeping your body limber. And then you get into the functional medicine where I've gone and you know I've gone through a few of them. Mm-hmm. I've gone through a lot of different testing, but what I've come to realize is that. You know, my body has things in it. It has heavy metals in it. It has um, mold in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to, you have to try to pull that out. And the thought process is if you can pull that out and your body can run efficiently, then instead of it wasting all its energy on trying to, trying to, deal with these things in your body that shouldn't be there, it can try to work on healing itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm working with a doctor right now in Seattle, and she's like, you know, if you really break it down, if you look at your regular blood panels that you do with um, any Western doctor, everything looks great. My iron looks great. My blood counts look great. But if you really dig into it and you start bringing in the liver function and your liver enzymes and things of that nature, all that's really screwed up. Mm -hmm. And she's like, your liver is not processing properly. She's like, you've got to get get it so your body is detoxing properly. Right now what's happening is your sugars and your iron that's trying to go through your liver, when it can't get detoxed and and pushed through your body properly, now it's being stored inside your body, which breaks down your muscles and breaks down your central nervous system. And so, yeah, so, you know, she's like, you've got to try to correct that. She's like, I'm not saying that this is going to fix what you have, but... She's like, if you, if we would have done all this testing on you and it shows nothing's wrong with you, then we don't have anything to work on. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it does show you things to work on. And like your hormone balances and and all these crazy things that you just need to get in line so your body can run how it's supposed to. And um, so, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me because then you jump into like energizing your cells, right? You know, really what's happening with me is a neurodegenerative disease, which is starting to break down those cells, and they start aging quicker, and you start losing them. You're not reproducing things quick enough, especially the motor neurons. Well, if you do different therapies, like NAD therapy, and you do ozone treatment therapies, which pulls some of this stuff out and reoxidates what's your NAD? blood. NAD is a... Um, is a type of supplement, which people are using now for aging, right? It's actually it. energizes your cells. Okay. And so you can do these things that in theory what people are using them for now is so they don't get old, hmm. right? Like they, inside or outside. It's, you can do them as pills, like orally or uh, IVs basically. Okay, but the IVs is like they're like all right. Your, your thought process is it's feeding your cells energy so they can they can re, they can do Have better. You done this? Uh, I've started it, yeah. And so this I've just started. You it. do look youthful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also that's also like not eating now. I don't eat gluten and I. You know, can't drink as much. And yeah. Everything, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, but so, you know, there's all these different ways that you realize if you expand your your uh, your thought processes of where if you just go to your regular doctor, they give they give me and God bless them. As I said, they give me pills and they give me clinical trial drugs and, you know, with fingers crossed then this year one of the clinical trials is going to come to fruition which is a stem cell trial mm-hmm. which you know I I truly believe in I believe you know this is a a way that they pull the stem cells out of you they regenerate them and they put them back in okay. into your spine and wow. you know you know it makes sense right but at the same time you can't just you can't just sit there and wait for that you have to try to figure out other avenues and as a number of people have told me, including a guy who's lived in, in Charleston for 20 years with ALS, he's like, just try everything. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, why not? I mean, what do you, you know, and it pisses the doctors off, but sometimes they'll look at me and they're like, well, how do you know what's working? And I'm like, who, who gives cares? A, who gives a shit? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, if, I mean, if it's working, it's working. And I'll, I'll, I'll take everything. I mean, I take 40 pills a day right now, Jesus. you know, of supplements and, and different type things. And, but... You know, the functional medicine is uh, is really intriguing because it just looks at it in a different way, right? It looks at your body and it's like, what's your body need? What is your body missing? Mm-hmm. And trying to recalculate that and, re, and realign and it. And do you basically. feel better? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, it, it, <laughs> the first week is like going through a major detox, yeah. right? Like you're pulling out, you know, you're pulling out breads and you're pulling out, you know, sugars and, yeah. you know, not in, you know, not drinking and stuff like that and then you get to a point where you don't the drinking you still miss some but the the food you've gotten I've gotten to the point now where really it's just sugar and gluten that I don't take yeah and I don't miss that that much yeah I mean I can I can li- I can work around that right that's, that's not the end of the world you know um so so that's you know so that's where we are right now we're just you know we're we literally are at a point now where it's it's you know, you take it day by day and you wake up today and you're like, all right, you know, what, what do we do, need to do mm-hmm. to what what's the next thing that we can try to do, mm-hmm. um, to try to just extend what we're doing. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's challenging because I mean, you have to, your, your life as you know it, the day to day changes, everything you do changes. I mean, I have to really, pre-calculate everything i do right now Mm -hmm. i mean because for my loss of strength my loss of balance stuff like that i mean there's there's not one thing that i that like you all normally do like if you're sitting here and talking about you know going to the car and getting things out of the car or starting the car you know those are things you can you could be on your phone and just you know, no, just do it subconsciously, right? right? Where I, I I have to think it through. I have to think, of, make sure I can get down the steps. I have to make sure I can start the car. I gotta make sure I can do the the smallest things, right. and it it exhausts you by the end of the day. I bet, you yeah, know, it, it truly does. Um, but you know, the, on the good side, um, it it it, you, it recalculates you in a, a couple of different ways. First of all, Jen is doing better. You know, she's gone through her chemo. She's, she's gone through her radiation. Um, she's in her hormone therapy that we're trying to figure out. She's now somehow grown an afro back. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like it's like she has this, she had this long, long straight hair, you know, wavy hair, maybe a little bit. Now she's got like a '70s afro that comes straight out. Oh, right I now. mean, it, it's it, it, it fits great.
0: her personality so perfectly.
1: <laughs> um, you know, you know, we, uh, you know, the kids. You know, that's a hard thing. Yeah. You know, you have kids who. Harbor everything and they go from seeing their mom in bed, losing her hair, and then now having to, you know, help me on a daily basis, you know, um, they don't have, um, they have to grow quick. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, you know, you and I've lived through it, um, with losing parents and it was a little bit older age. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a lot on kids, yeah. you know, it's a lot on anybody. And, you know, you have to think, you know, for me, I mean, and I, I think this is not abnormal, but I think you look back and you have some regrets that you have, um, especially being selfish, probably more than anything. Um, you know, did you, you know, you question everything, right? Did you do enough with your kids already? You know, but then you have to look at it the other way, right? I think human, I think humans a lot of times are selfish with with, and they're they people are good in, at heart, but they also are like, you know, they they don't understand until you live through some of this what's really important. Correct. You know, you you still think of what you, what you need, mm-hmm. um, and I still do that right now, but you know, I think that right now you, you start looking at it day to day and you start saying, all right, you know, you're sitting on the couch and you just want to sit there and not do anything, but you're like, you bet your kids want to play with you. And you're like, you know what? I better get up and go do it because, you know, who knows what tomorrow brings. I mean, that's just, that's for all of us, right? And I think your mor- mortality is put in check, you know, you really start, start looking at it that way. Um, and you need to it's hard I think I think everybody has gone through it a little bit with with COVID right they they everybody's had to deal look inside when they get you know you know and 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 check with themselves about what's important and what's not over the course of the last few months and what I tell people all the time is and I get it people put their lives into their work I mean you do you know so many of our friends do that's that That is their baby in a lot of ways. And w- when this all hit and everybody was put through such hell with, with that, I kind of try to remind people that, you know, as long as you have your health, you mm-hmm. can do it again, right? It doesn't matter what, you know, <laughs> you'll come out the other side, and if you're healthy, you have the opportunity to to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I take for granted, uh, I took for granted a lot of that, you know, um, what used to bother me and worry me with, you know, house payments and cars and where people are and who's going to this party and blah, blah, blah. That shit really matters, you know, when it comes down to it. Um, you know, who, you know, who you're with, you know, whatever, you know, it just doesn't matter. And, um, you know, I took for granted
2: my,
1: you know, my health in the way that, you know, you know, I, you know I can't play basketball anymore. I can't, you know, play tennis, you know. You can't go in the yard and play soccer with the kids, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, you hope that comes back, but you don't know, you know. Um, and so that's, you know, people have to, you know, keep that in mind, that if you have your health... Then all the other stuff can be done. Yeah, you know, if you don't, then it doesn't matter. Yep. So
0: very true. Very very true. Um, so I know you and I spoke the other day about mm-hmm. some of the things going on in yeah legislature. Is that the way you say it, or yep. do you say legislative? <laughs> legislature.
2: Yeah, with, okay. the, with the legislation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I
0: got you. Yeah. So <laughs> let's let's talk about it because okay. it's very important.
1: All right, I'm gonna probably give you a quick. Uh, boring brief history of, of some, where I come from a little bit with this. Okay, okay? Um, you know this, but uh, I grew up in a town in 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 in, se- in the mountains of Virginia um, of about seventy five hundred people. It's a very small place. I was I was lucky. You know that's it's where my mom grew up. Uh, I grew up with my grandparents there. I grew up with uh, aunt and uncles there, great aunt and uncles. You know, like. A lot of a lot of my family was from there. Excuse me. Um, and, um, you know, I grew up in a situation where we saw those people. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was the, was the pediatrician in town, was one of the only doctors there. In the, in the 50s, uh, during the polio epidemic, um, he, Withville, the town that I grew up in, was actually a national disaster place. It was quarantined wow. for the for the whole summer. There was nobody allowed in and out and he was the doctor who stayed to deal with all the all the kids. And this is where the iron lung came from and and March of Dimes started from polio, all these crazy things. And there are stories from my grandfather. my my grandmother took my mom and and the other and her, her siblings to a place outside Charlottesville and stayed there for the summer because You know, there's kids, I mean, literally getting polio daily in in Withville. And there's a whole generation of people from there who have have limps and disabilities Mm. because of that. Um, But my grandfather would leave during the weekends and he would drive to see them. And before he would see anybody, he'd get out of the car and he would would wash off and burn his clothes before because he didn't want to get anybody else sick. And so anyway, my grandfather was basically the doctor in town. Um, and then my great-uncle um, was an attorney that my dad worked with, but he was also in the Virginia House of Delegates for 20-plus years. He was a he was a politician um, for that area. Um, they were both—my grandfather and my great-uncle were both in World War II. Um, they came from an era— that they believed, you know, that you not only served your country, but you came back and served your community. You know, my grandfather was pretty interesting. It, you know, he was, when he went to Emory University for for medical school, he was from Atlanta originally, they taught him to expect to give two days a week of free health care to the community. Mm-hmm. That was what was taught in medical school. It's like, you've got to expect to treat people and not expect anything for it because yeah yeah pretty good yeah right (laughs) so you you, but and that's how he, he really lives his life he 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 was they you know he was a doctor but they really didn't have a lot of money because he would still treat people in a very rural place that's it was fairly poor he would still treat people that were you know that didn't have money. You know, he'd make house calls and he would, he would go from place to place and you know, if the people could pay, they'd pay or they would pay when they could. But, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't going to turn somebody away just because they didn't have money. And my great uncle who was who was in the Marines and fought in Iwo Jima came back and he and my, my great aunt both went to the university of Virginia for law school. She was literally very similar to how Justice Ginsburg was. She was one of the first women to graduate from the University of Virginia for law school, okay. and they were both very, very political for the area. But my great uncle, especially, um, but he, you know, he was very um, influential in the area of making sure that part of the state of Virginia got money for because there were people out there that just couldn't have uh, couldn't have schools and couldn't have healthcare and couldn't have you know all these different things and so he he really worked a lot of his life to be able to get the state to help support that area um, my my dad and my mom my dad was an was an attorney you know I, I obviously was lucky my um my mom was a school teacher for 20 some years um i was one of the luckier families there but we grew up in a town that was um Fifty-fifty, white and black, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you knew everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. you played sports with everybody. You sat in classes with everybody. You, I mean, it's so small that you, you know, you knew. And my mom taught most of them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, as you say, when you go around town, you would see people and they knew who you were. Right. And which is good and bad, I guess, at times, mm-hmm. right? But, um, but, you know, my mom and dad also had that feeling of like where you had to help other people out, right? And... It, it was it was a really weird feeling when I was younger in this, but this is um, kind of interesting. You know, I grew up, obviously, in, in one of the luckier families there. Um, and so I would, you know, my mom would buy me clothes. I'd have clothes. But when I didn't, when I grew out of those clothes, she would give them away, and she'd give them to other families. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in elementary school and middle school, and, you know, I'd be wearing a shirt one week and, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody in that class, my class, a friend of mine would be wearing it the next week, you know, and it's a really humbling experience, even though you didn't know it at the time, that it it was just an awkward feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, because there was, you know, you would definitely have clothes on that were pretty, you know, you've been wearing for a while and people knew they were yours they were passed on to other families. And, but that's, you know, just, i think just kind of part of what we grew up in is like you know it was much more of a community feel mm-hmm. because you you're such a small town and you, I mean people really did you know try to look out for everybody in that in that town no matter what was going on um so when all this happened with me with the with als and everything you know, I think like most people who, who get a diagnosis like this and go through this, whether it's, you know, Jen with cancer or with you, with your mom, um, or your stepmom or whatever it may be. Um, you, you, you always feel a need to give back to what you're dealing with, Right. you know, and that's not just, I mean, it's not just, like the people who take their time to talk to me when I was first going through it right i mean that's that's a definite you need to talk to people who, who are going through it so you can help them but also what can you do on the on the bigger scale that you can that can bring awareness to it or help in some portion of it and um, unfortunately or fortunately i don't know i'm not a fundraiser that's just not what i do I just, i'm not comfortable Um, Asking people for money, probably to a fault sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, that's not in my DNA about how I feel about it. And then trust me, there's so many good organizations out there right now that that need money. There's, you know, ones like there's a guy who's helping us out from a a group called Project, uh, Project Main Street that you know, he basically just collects money to give back to families who need it for who are dealing with ALS because it's so expensive, Mm -hmm. you know, especially as you get further in the progressions, it gets so expensive. And, um, you know, there's project ALS that, that does a lot of, uh, a lot of research and raises money for research. And, the same thing with you know where I go in, at, at MGH the Healy Center, they they do they raise so much money for research, um, and then there's uh, then there's also a different branch of it basically, which is what we're talking about right now with the legislation that's going on for not only ALS but for neurodegenerative degenerative diseases in general, or. You know, what I kind of uh, say is high-risk um, or fast-acting diseases, right? Um, and there is a group that I've been following and I've really enjoyed following. is, is called org, And the guy who started it has ALS for the next three or four years, um, and he worked in the Obama administration. So he, he knew— Keep talking. He knew the uh he knew the need for uh bills to be passed to help with this type uh disease. And so that's what he knew. And so he's started now and has really worked toward <laughs> has really worked toward uh um getting legislation passed not only for ALS but for other for other uh, diseases and what they found out a lot with recently, which is really important on the research side, but also the legislation side, is a lot of these diseases with Alzheimer's or dementia or MS um, and ALS are all very similar in a lot of ways. They're they're finding out that a lot of the the treatments that they that would would work for one might work for the other, um, and so now you're starting to see a real. Um, the, you know a collaboration of these these coming together and the researchers coming together um so you're not just people you know giving money to one or the other part you're starting to see that it's really uh, overlapping between them and that's important because you know it, when you have a disease like ALS which is not you know is very rare you know people might not be willing to, you might not get the the broader reach that you might with, with some of the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, when they did the ice bucket challenge a number of years ago, that really brought it to the forefront. And that showed that by doing stuff like that, you're able to raise enough money. The, there's now a drug that's in front of the FDA that's shown a lot of promise that they're trying to get passed through that was completely funded by that by that ice bucket challenge. Did you know that my brother played baseball with that guy? No, I didn't. Yeah, I really. Yeah, they're from from my yeah, dad's he's, town. Yeah, he's from up there, right? Yeah. 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 No, I didn't know, but but that it shows that the money gets there eventually. Yeah. It takes a while, right? It takes it takes five six years, but it gets there. But anyway, getting back to what what IMLS <coughs> does is they are really trying to hammer through legislation that's going to do a few things. One of them is push through, uh, treatments or therapeutics that, and get it to patients quicker. If you know, like this drug that just has been shown, uh, to show promise, if you know it's safe, which everybody does because there's actually two pre-approved drugs before that have been combined and you know that it's helpful, then, why does it take another year, two, three years for it to get through the FDA for us to be able to use it? Um, you know, we don't have that time, mm-hmm. right? And if, I, if, if, and, and if we decide to make the choice to use it, we should have the opportunity to use it. And it should be law that insurances will help with that. Mm-hmm. Right now, if I try to go do that, that drug that I'm talking about, which is this Amilex drug, it would cost me $8,000 a month. I mean, I could get it, but it will be $8,000 a month. And so, obviously, you can't do that, right? <laughs> so now we're now, – so, but the, the legislation will not only help fund us um, and, and make insurances uh, more acceptable to it, but also will fast-track it. That if, if, that if, you know, if it comes out of trial, it's shown that it's, it's safe, and it is shown that it shows promise – um, and the doctors r- read the data and they sign off on it. That the FDA basically has to allow you to do it, or or it puts a time a time crunch on it of I think ninety days or whatever that they have to give you, they have to give allow you to take it. Um, so it just breaks down some of the uh, what the, the kind of the bureaucratic bullshit that you deal with right, right now between the insurance companies, the funding, and the FDA and if anything, COVID has shown that you can get vaccines through within six months, right, right? or eight months, nine months. You can get this stuff through. Um, the other part of it is that they're putting in that they're putting in is that it's um, uh, going to allow people um, not only access to it, okay, but it's going to it's going to allow the FDA to, to create its own um, department within it for neurodegenerative diseases. Um, they did this with cancer not long ago, right? And so now if a cancer, pro- if a cancer protocol or, uh, or uh, drug comes up that they think is, 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 is beneficial, it goes to that portion of the FDA and they can, they can work on it just on that part of right. it. And now that you're seeing that a lot of these therapeutics and these, uh, these treatments, or that work for ALS will also work for potentially for MS or for Alzheimer's or dementia, then, yeah, I mean, if you lump all those together and you create a department for it, now that department, you know, can, can just see those cases. Mm-hmm. It's not caught up with, you know, all the other diseases that are out there. Right. It's zeroed in on one part. And so what we're trying to do right now and what I'm trying to do you know, it started off fairly small here, just watching it with IMALS and trying to get in touch with our local uh, representatives and senators and stuff like that to try to get support on it. Um, and um, that's what we're trying to get the word out for right now, that people can go to IAMALS.org. You know, read about these these different uh, these different bills that are going to the Senate and the House. They have a all you do is fill your name in, and they will they will send the letter for you through email to your senator and your representative. And you know, do these guys read it? You know, probably not. You know, but the thought process is if they're staff reads it and they read 10,000 of them. That's right. They're going to hear about it. And then guess what? When this bill comes in front of them when they do sit down, the senator does sit down, the the staff's be like, "Oh yeah, we've had a lot of people on this." And then you have another group of people out there that you know that we're trying to reach to that do know these senators mm-hmm. and they do know the representatives. And we just ask that if you know them, say put this in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know, or put them in is touch the with me. The name of
0: the bill something
1: is it yeah, I've got it. Um, yeah, I, I think I see it. You pull it up real quick. Yeah, um, I sent. There's two of them. Um, and the, a prime example of this, and this is goes back to my kind of what my great uncle did, right? Um, mm-hmm. With why he was in the House of Representatives. Um, you know, recently, um, we've sent this information out mm-hmm. to all of our senators and representatives, and through contacts, you know, through your husband John, contacting our representative Joe Cunningham and our friend, you know, Wes Fuller doing it and a few other people, um, you know, we spoke with Joe Cunningham, our representative, who's in the middle of an election right now. And he took, and he and the staff took time, talked to us, looked it over, saw what was going on and they've agreed to give support and, and, and actually sponsor these bills. And, you know, What that does for me is I think in the situation right now, it gives us some sort of hope that there are people out there who do things that are above politics right Mm -hmm. now. I mean, we live in such a crazy time with the politicians we deal with right now that you have this uh, Joe Cunningham who is in the middle of a, a major election. Um, He fights an uphill battle somewhat because he's a Democrat in a Republican area. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's he puts that aside with with a lot bigger issues out there that are being dealt with on a bigger on a bigger scale. And he sent me a personalized letter the other day saying, hey, he's thinking about us. He's you know, he is. he understands these bills and this is something that he's going to support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that says a lot about him. Mm -hmm. It says a lot about how our representatives should be, Mm -hmm. I think in government right now. And it takes me back to how my, my great uncle was that that's something that's going on. That's bigger than, you know, just the bigger picture with, with the politics right now. Absolutely. It's about you know,
0: being human. Right.
1: Exactly. And, and, you know, to me, I mean, I've, I've, I sent that letter out obviously and I sent it to some of my friends and, you know, I've had numerous people say to me, say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to vote for him just because yes. of that.
0: He's, Joe's a good guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he seems, and he, he you know, he, and it that, but that's, that's what you want, right? And that's what
0: people want. I mean, we we could talk about politics forever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know we, we don't, don't all have all day. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, <laughs> um,
1: but you know, getting back getting back to the legislation, you know, the one that he uh, that the house is looking at is a, is the a Accelerating Access to Critical Therapies um Act, which is as I said basically that is gives you access to these therapies uh, for critical type patients like myself. Um, when they come about and they and they're there, it gives me the opportunity to use them if I want to, right? And and this is not something that is, you know, uh, that has not been tested. It's not unsafe. It's not anything like that. It still goes through that portion of it, but it gives us the ability to make a choice of whether or not we want to do it before yeah. it gets held up with with um, um, held up with the FDA. And then the one in the Senate that's coming up. and
2: I'm I think a, you
0: might go like, yeah. Yeah, there you go.
2: The yeah, there you go. Let me do it. This time's yeah. a piece of shit. <laughs> Let me try to get rid of that. <laughs> I think you have to hold it. Oh, you do I
0: hate phones. <laughs> I don't Give know. it to me.
1: It's, uh, it's the Promising Pathway Act is what it is with the Senate. I, I, I know that anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and it does a lot of the same thing. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. There's there's other parts of the bill, right? I mean, there's going to be funding that's in the bill that they have to approve with. Um, you know, and there's always going to be people who, who you know, are going to see issues with certain parts of it. Um but at the same time, and it gets back to you talking about being human, you know. I, reason I want to get in touch with people and get in touch with senators and representatives and talk to them is I find it really hard to believe if I if I tell people my story and what's going on, you know, and obviously in an abbreviated version of this, but um, that they're going to look at me in the eye and tell me that 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 they that they can't help, right? You know, and. You know, these senators and, and, I, and representatives, I, I really respect them for the amount of time that they spend on a lot of stuff. But, you know, they don't see these bills a lot of time until it's getting ready to be voted on. And if you can get it in front of them and you can put a face with the bill, I find that that's going to be give it the best chance to get pushed through. And as I said, there's a very promising, you know, um, therapy right now. It's a stem cell therapy that's coming up, that, that this is the same one that I would have to go to South Korea to do mm-hmm. if it's not passed here, that if it comes back in December and it shows promise and the data looks good, you know, if this is passed, I could start beginning the next year doing it, possibly. Right. If it's not, you know, it could be a year or two, and we just don't know what that's going to look like. Right. And, you know, it should it should say something to people that my options for that stem cell therapy— or to wait for our government here or fly to South Korea right. and spend sixty thousand dollars every two months to get it Jeez. and you know if you know that it's, if you know it's safe and you know that there is some some help to there's some benefit to it, then I think it should be left up to me to make that decision and it should be made accessible and I think that's I, I really do think that that should be part of the role of our government is to is to help us with that and and not get it not get it bogged down with everything else.
2: Yeah,
0: I agree. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, with that with
1: that you go I mean if you if people go to I M L A L S, I A M A L S dot org, you can you can find this information. And um you know if there are people out there who do have Direct contacts with uh, senators or representatives, whether no matter what state it's in, um, you know, I'm happy to talk with them. You know, you know if they if they'll give me 15 minutes, you know, to to and send them one page of information, you know, just so they can at least know it's there. That's all I can ask for. Yeah. You know, then I feel like we've done we've done what we're supposed to do on this side of it.
0: Yep, I agree um well before we part Mm -hmm. um Jen sent me something for you
1: oh she did (laughs) Yeah.
0: okay
1: (laughs) now you're gonna make me cry
0: (laughs) that's okay I'm probably gonna cry through it too she said this is so you know you guys have heard Tom's amazing story and most of you I don't know if all of our listeners know me personally but I think a lot of them do follow me but Tom and Jen are like our best friends and we travel with them and do things with them and we've people have lovingly referred to them as like golden retrievers because they're (laughs) like the couple that you're like how what? (laughs) They're both beautiful people inside, outside and they actually really love each other Um, which is refreshing and they, John and I have said this before but we both look up to both of you guys. You have a really strong marriage and a beautiful family. So Jen said, my sweet tea Today and every day, as you rise and shine, I see you facing the challenges and hardships and making them into opportunities and second chances. I see you finding the good and the bad, making the bad a passageway to becoming more grateful, more loving, and more in the moment of life. Alex, Zoe, Wyatt, and I love you to the moon and have so much admiration for you just just how you are, no matter what that looks like today or in a year. You inspire us all to be the best we can, and as you walk through this uncharted water, silver linings are guiding us to a place of hope and gratitude. Our lives and heart are so full, and you should take glory in the fact that you keep showing up every day. I proudly am and always will be right beside you every day. This is love. It is magical. Love is circular. Love is a soul connection. You are my biggest wish, my star shine, and I will continue to stand tall with, every, with you every day I have. Nothing will ever change the immense love I have for you. Let's keep on flying high, my love, through the silver linings of life together. Love, Jen. She's the best. She is the best. She is the best. And I'll
1: say this. I mean, uh, just on that note, I mean, and I probably didn't do it enough justice in talking already. um, How I go about my day-to-day right now is based on how she did it already Mm -hmm. with with her cancer treatments. I mean, she somehow found a way every day to find the good in it and um to put it you know past her even when she didn't feel good and she would she would find ways to be um positive about it mm-hmm. and this is this is kind of strange but in a roundabout way she reminds me of my dad uh, when my dad was alive my dad was one of the people who um was he, he had this innate ability to, when he, anybody was talking to him, to make you feel like you're the only person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And that, that that conversation was the only thing that mattered to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jen has that same ability. She totally does. You know, yeah. in that you're the most important person. And, and the fact of the matter is, you are at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, your story and your situation and what you're talking about is um, what is the most important thing to her. Mm-hmm and you know i've been lucky that with my dad when he was alive he was you know in in an interesting way with everything that we dealt with growing up and you know, when it came to politics and stuff like that, he was a very independent person. Mm-hmm. He always said to me, he's like, you do and you vote for who you think is best for the situation at that time, mm-hmm. not what anything else goes. And that, that not just goes with politics, but also goes with with what you do in life, right? It's like you need to do what you feel is, in your heart's the best thing to do for the situation. Mm-hmm. And Jen's like that. Mm-hmm. You know, she has that ability to look at a situation and say, all right, not really what I want to do, but what's the best thing to do Mm -hmm. for this, Mm -hmm. you know? And she, and she's, you know, tried to teach me that over the years. Same,
0: same. She is, she is a special person.
1: I mean, she, I mean, I think we all are, but I'm extremely lucky to have her that I get to wake up to every day. You are. That's for sure.
0: One day, one morning you're going to wake up and I'm going to be in between the two of you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: Me, the kids, and the dog. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> well, we have all the rest of them in the bed. All I know. The time. <laughs> I know. Same.
0: Well, um, thank you so much. And, guys, um, for our are. listeners, please, please, um, it, I am ALS.com.
1: Uh, dot org. I am
0: yep. org. Right now, before you do anything else, you've already spent the time listening. Pull over your car at your desk at your home go to this website and send these send to you can directly send to your senators yep. or in legislation they, they,
1: you you can go on you'll find it on their website and you you'll go on and basically all you have to do is fill in your information and they will fill in the letter for you okay. and they will email your representative and senator for you yes you, you, it is it is as bad as simple my mom figured it out she can't even turn the tv <laughs> on yeah, so.
0: so that's your that's your job today listeners don't worry about rating and reviewing us i want you to send this send that link to everybody you know send this podcast around um and you know it takes a that story was very captivating and i and i know it so tom thank you so much well, thank and you, um, i
1: appreciate you giving me the time to talk about yeah
0: that. yes Um, but if you do want to rate and review us, you can just give us five stars. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye.